And all God's people said, amen. How blessed we are in so many ways as a church uh, to have talent and gifts. And um, some of those gifts sit right out here, by the way. And some of you haven't, you just don't even know it. But uh, we're so grateful for all of us as we gather as a church today. And I would just ask you to just continue to pray for Pastor Kenneth. And I'm sure as, as Pastor Kenneth watches on live stream right now that uh, he is hurting and he's not here. So remember him this day. <clears throat> it was, uh, I don't know how many years ago, maybe 1972, 73. I was a sophomore in high school. And um, played basketball for this team, this high school team, and I was on the JV squad. And we come to the end of the season, and the varsity's playing in the tournament. And the coach comes to me and says, hey, Rick, um, I'm going to move you up for the varsity to be part of the team as we go to the, the playoffs. Amen. Praise God. So um, I was pretty fired up. Y'all don't know much about me, but, uh, man, I lived for that game. Um, my whole dream was just to put on a high school varsity uniform. It was never to play in the NBA. God just did all that. But it was, that was my dream, to put on that high school varsity uniform. And I'll never forget, um, went to the game, rode the bus, and there on my seat in my locker was that high school varsity uniform. Now, I've never been shy, right? I've never had a shot that I didn't want to take. And so I'd already made up my mind that if, if I get in the game, the first, thing, the first shot I get, I'm letting it fly. I mean, it didn't matter where it was on the floor. The first shot, I was going to let it fly. And so we're, we're down pretty good. Um, we were the eighth seed playing the one seed in our conference tournament. And uh, we're down pretty good. And it was second half, and it was middle of third quarter, and the coach looks down at the bench. And, and he knew that swing would put it up, Right? He knew it. So he's like praying for a miracle. Uh, by the way, that miracle didn't happen. Let me just go ahead and let you know that. But he said, swing, come on, get in the game. I, y'all, I was so fired up. I ripped off that warm-up, and I went to the scorer's bench. And he told me who to go in for, but, you know, it was, I was just fired up. So <laughs> I go running into the game. There was a dead ball. I go running into the game, and like I was supposed to tell the person who's coming out that they were coming out. I didn't have a clue who that was because I didn't hear the coach. And of course, the coach, swing, get with such and such. And sure enough, he came out of the game. So here I am, middle of third quarter. We're down a bunch. And I keep telling myself, swing, don't be afraid. I know this is kind of sudden. You weren't thinking about you're going to get in the game. But now you're here. So what's going to happen? So sure enough, I mean, the next play, we get a rebound, and we're going down the floor, and I'm on the left wing. Never forget. Now, back then, they didn't have three-point lines and those kind of things. This is way back when, okay? Short shorts, the whole bit. And I'm running down the left wing, and sure enough, I get the ball. Now, listen, y'all. I was nervous. I was excited. Um, I, I didn't realize that I had no legs at that point. And if, if you know anything about basketball, you can't shoot the ball unless you've got good legs underneath you. I'm sprinting down that left-hand side, nervous. I get the ball. One dribble, I can get to the rim. Man, what am I thinking? Spectacular, right? Man, this is going to be good. I take one dribble, and I'm going hard to the rim, and this is going to be my first points as a varsity player. 
I go up and my leg just kind of, my left leg just kind of gives out. It was just like, went limp. And literally, I go stumbling into the, the backdrop, you know, the, the, the standard of the basketball. I mean, literally, I hit that going 150 miles an hour. And I just kind of look at the coach, and the coach is doing this. But I want you to know, the next time I got the ball, I mean, the very next time, I shot it. I shot it again. <laughs> I was in the game five minutes. I took six shots. Okay, <laughs> Didn't make a single one of them. But listen, I couldn't wait to get into the game. And today is the same thing, y'all. I may not be as prepared as I should be today, but I can't wait to share God's word, right? That's the way we should be every single day of our life, ready to give an answer of that which is inside of us, which is Jesus Christ, if you walk with him. So I want you to turn to the book of Galatians this morning, New Testament. So you're going to go to Romans and 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and then you're going to find Galatians. The title of the sermon is, Is It Worth Fighting For? I'm going to give you the quick answer on the front end, and the answer is yes. Galatians chapter, we're going to be in chapter 5, but I just want you to start in chapter 1. I'll get there in a minute. <clears throat> William Faulkner, the author, once said this. He said, we must be free, not because we claim freedom, but because we practice it. We must be free, not because we claim freedom, but because we practice it. Just here in a month or so, we have an election that's going to take place. And I remember back when I was a youngster and, you know, what politics looked like back in, what politics looked like today. I think about some of the old folks that was even before me, people like President Lyndon B. Johnson. He said this in his State of the Union address. He said, this then is the state of the union, free and restless, growing and full of hope. So it was in the beginning. So it shall always be while God is willing and we are strong enough to keep the faith. So how are we doing? Well, the first coin to bear the phrase, in God, we, in God we trust, was issued in 1864. The first dollar with In God We Trust was printed in 1957. Then in 1962, prayers were outlawed in U.S. schools. In 63, the Bible was outlawed in U.S. schools. The Creator was outlawed in U.S. school science classes in 1987. In 1991, the name of God was outlawed at U.S. school graduation ceremonies. The Pledges of Allegiance with the term under God was outlawed in U.S. schools in 2002. Do you believe our founding fathers knew what they were talking about hundreds of years ago? I personally do. In George Washington's Thanksgiving proclamation in 1789, he said these words, It is the duty of all nations not just America, to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to be devoted by the people of these United States to the service of that great and glorious being. Engraved on the walls of the Jefferson Memorial in Washington, D.C. are the words of President Thomas Jefferson, and he wrote, God who gave us life gave us liberty. 
Can the liberties of a nation be secure when we have removed a conviction that these liberties are the gift of God? Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. Then he concluded, God bless America. So what are you and what am I fighting for? Galatians 5, verse 1. By the way, there's no sermon notes today, okay? 7.15 in the morning, didn't get a chance to get, I was just searching for a sermon, all right? Paul writes in Galatians, and this is what he writes in verse 1. He said, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Paul is writing to the churches of Galatia, brothers and sisters in the faith who are being swayed to believe that the gospel of Jesus is just not quite enough for salvation. Look there in chapter 1, and let me just read verses 6 and 7. Paul writes this. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and the turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Jump down to verse 9. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than that, well, of what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Paul's writing to these brothers and sisters in Christ who had proclaimed this new gospel, that the old law had been abolished, and now we have this new law in Christ Jesus. See, they were trying to believe that it was Jesus plus the Mosaic law, the old law, plus circumcision, plus traditions, plus religious rituals. Paul was saying, no, it's not Jesus plus these things. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. See, Paul was fighting for the defending of the message of Jesus Christ. That that gospel, the gospel of Jesus, is all you need for salvation. Period. So what was Paul fighting for and what should we be fighting for? I'm going to give you three of those points today. And then I have an impact point and we'll be done. Number one, and you can write this down if you want. Free from the requirements of the law to the gift of grace. We need to be fighting for that. That it's not about the requirements of the law. It's about this free gift of grace. I had somebody in my office this past week. And we were talking about this picture of faith and grace. And he comes from a a different religious background than us. One that would probably say that it's about what you do in this life that will secure what you have in the next life. That it's about works. It's about things that you do. Things that you can do. And I tried to communicate with him that it's nothing that you can do. That this gospel of Jesus, he did it all when he went to the cross some 2,000 years ago. He paid the price. He paid the penalty for all of my sin. And there's nothing that you do. It's what he's done. You just need to accept what he's done as an act 
of grace. This is what Paul is saying here. Look at verse 2 of chapter 5. Turn to chapter 5. Chapter 5. Let me start in verse 1. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. It's not what you can do. It's what God has already done through his son, Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that is what is important. It's not about the other rituals, having circumcision. That's not going to save you. Having those other rituals, those will not save you. The only thing that will save you is this new law that is in Christ. It's kind of like, I don't know about you, but um, I saw a video uh, the other day of my little grandbaby, Elliot. And she turns two in November, so excited. And by the way, we have another grandbaby um, named Graham who came to this world just a few weeks ago. So we're the proud grandparents of two now. But Josh, my son, shared a video of Elliot's first venture into the big pool. Okay? So she's standing on the edge. Now, you got to remember, she's not two yet, and, and this is all kind of foreign, just, you know, all this water. Now, she has a little pool in her backyard and stuff like that. But this is kind of foreign. And so she's standing on the edge of the pool, and it's kind of this picture of sink or swim, right? But she doesn't think that way because her daddy... Is where? <laughs> He's in the pool going, come on, Elliot. You can do it. You can take this leap of faith and jump in the pool. And by the way, because of grace, because I love you, there's nothing that you have to do to save yourself. I'll be here to do it for you. So what does little Elliot do? She jumps into the pool, into her father's arms, because she knew that the guy standing in front of her, her daddy, loved her and was not going to let anything happen to her. See, the law says, do this. Here's the things you've got to do. Grace says, be this. The law demands duty. Grace demands love. The law ends in despair because we can't live up to it. Grace ends in Faith, because it comes from God the Father. So Paul is telling the people of Galatia, you fight for this, to be free from this requirements of the law because you have this gift of grace that's been given to you. Why would you ever go back to the other things? Now, I know what you're saying. You go, well, you know, that's not me. Um, I think sometimes it is us. It just may not be the same things that they were dealing with. You know, how many times do, 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 do we, 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 we say, okay, grace is enough, but I've got to do this. Grace is enough, but I need to add this in my life. Lord, I'm going to give it to you, but I've got to do these things. You know, I've got a dear friend over here, Chad, 
And Chad goes, can, can we pray? So during worship, we went here and prayed. And he's got a mom that is on hospice, right, Chad? And so we don't know how long mom is going to live. And it's one of these pictures, okay, God, your grace has to intervene in all this. It's not anything that he can do. God, it's you. What is your will? How can I be in the middle of your will through all of this? Paul says, fight for that. Fight for this gift of grace that's been given to you in your life. And by the way, your children need to know, your grandchildren need to know as this picture of what grace is that you practice that grace in your life. What is it in your life? If I said, okay, define grace, we may have a whole bunch of different things, but for me, grace comes when my dad, when I was little, says, you get all these wax and in the middle of those wax, he says, I'm not going to finish it. You deserve it. But listen, I'm, I'm going to determine that you're, I'm not going to give you the, the rest of, of your punishment. I deserve the punishment because I did something wrong. But grace intervened. We deserve death, right? Because of the wages of sin is death. But grace came into this world as a gift to you and I. So fight for that grace that's in your life. Number two, we fight to be free from the bondage of sin to this obedience of holiness. We call that a transformation. We fight for this, uh, being free from the bondage of sin to the obedience of holiness in your life. Look at Galatians 5, verse 13. It says this, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. For us today, kind of modern lingo would be just because I have been set free because of the grace that God has given me through his son, Jesus Christ, doesn't give me a license to just go out and sin and then the next day, well, because my sins have been covered by the blood, I'm good. Paul says, don't do that. Just because you are free because of grace, he says, do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Romans 6, 22 says it this way. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. First Thessalonians 4 verse 7 says, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Jesus said, if you love me, you will what? Obey me, right? If you love me, Rick, if you truly love me, then obedience will be what comes out of you. I've had a great opportunity to, to be part of a men's discipleship group. And um, we've met, how many times now? Two or three? Three times? Four times? Okay. I lose track, it's so good. And um, in the midst of my prayer times of, of this, uh, one of the, the, the readings that we had, it kind of, for me, it lent, it lent itself to this picture of obedience. And I thought because I've been this athlete most of my life and I had a great discipline in my life to, to be the best that I possibly could be, all these kind of things, and I thought that I understood what obedience was. I really did. And, you know, I, I kind of have my high horse. And in the midst of all of that, in my prayer time, God slapped me across the side of my face and said, Rick, you have got no clue 
of what obedience really looks like. You know why? How much has Rick suffered in this life? Truly. How much have I truly suffered in this life that would demand that I would be, that I have to obey God or lose my life? What's the choice? I've had it pretty easy, y'all. I grew up in a Christian home, accepted Christ at a young age, saw my parents live this Christian life, had grandparents who loved Jesus and was committed to walking with Jesus. I saw that. They were examples in my life. God called me into the ministry some 30-some years ago, and I've been trying to do the right thing ever since. And God says, Rick, you have no clue what obedience looks like in your life because you really haven't suffered much. I would probably say that is true of most of us in this place. What does sin do? In John 10.10, it tells us what sin does in our life. First of all, it steals. It steals. It steals from you and I. It steals that which is most precious to you, and that is love. That is love. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, he says in John 10.10. That's what he does. He wants to steal that which is most precious to you, which is love, through the sin in your life. Sin kills as well. It kills that which you cling to, and that is hope. That's hope. And then sin destroys It destroys that which is most important, which is your faith. In a way, this is what Paul was telling the people of Galatia. What's more important in your life, to believe a lie and to go sin, or believe the truth of grace in the person of Jesus Christ? And even though Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, the last part of that that verse says, Jesus says, but I came that you might have life. And haven't abundant. In other words, people, through a life in Christ, what Satan wants to do to steal, kill, and destroy your life, Jesus says, I really don't care what Satan wants to do. Because I've come to give you life and give it abundant. In other words, I've come to give you everything that you possibly could need in this life. No matter what Satan tries to do, What you have in me is far more important than what he tries to do. Because I came to give you life and to give you more important. So we're free from the requirements of the law. That's the gift of grace. We're free from this bondage of sin to the obedience of holiness. He commands us to do that. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, famous passage of Scripture. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve of what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What does holiness do in your life? It affirms God's presence. That's one thing it'll do, which is through worship. You know, I begin to think. So we have, you know, COVID, COVID is here, right? We're all going to acknowledge that. Okay, it, is, it exists within us. 
around us, I should say. It's not in me, okay, I'm good. It's here. It should not steal our joy, right? It should not dictate what I am in Christ along the way. Holiness, on the other hand, it affirms God's presence, which is worship. So I'm thinking up here. So, so we don't have the full band today, right? We don't have it all. Did you miss anything? Okay, you're going to be kind and say, no, we didn't miss anything. But truly, did you miss anything? No. Let me ask you another question. Do you need a band up here to worship? What's the answer? No. Why? Why do we not need a band up here to worship? Because I got Jesus in my life, right? I got Jesus in my life. It's all I need. It is absolutely all I need. I was a, I was a student pastor for many, many years, and, and we had lots of kids go to camp, and we had, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of kids at the camp, and they didn't like the worship because it was this kind of techno-pop worship, okay? It was different than what they were used to. They were wanting something like this, nice acoustic, you know, kind of mellow, you know? And I brought in something different. I mean, listen, they loved Jesus, all right? The band did. They loved Jesus. They were committed to students. I said, why not? Well, all I heard was complaint after complaint after complaint after complaint. So on the third day, I told the band, don't show up. We were up in Gatlinburg, all right? We were up there. I said, I, I don't want you to come tonight. And of course, I told them the story, what was going on, and they were cool. I told all my leaders, which we had about 100 of them, 100 leaders, I said, you're not to go into the worship center tonight. Just let the students go in. So the students went in, right? This big auditorium filled with students. And, the, and, and my adult leaders were going, well, what's going to happen? I said, I don't know. I said, I ain't got a clue. I just know this is what God told me to do. I said, we're going to see what worship really is, right? Do they have to have their favorite whatever to worship a holy God who's changed their life, transformed their life? From one of death to one of life? I said, really? So I said, no, we're just, we're just going to hang out outside and see what happens. So that's what we did. 650 students went into the auditorium. The band, us leaders, the guy who was going to preach, <laughs> David Nasser was his name. We all just stood outside. We're, we're, we're just going to pray. We're just going to surround. We're just going to pray that God shows up. Y'all, you could hear the murmuring take place inside, like, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, somebody stood up and started singing. You know what they sang? An old hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. That's what they started to sing. They hated hymns. They hated them. And what did they sing? They just wanted to worship, right? Worship because of the grace that they found in their life that God had saved them from this sinful life of one of doom and destruction and separation from a holy God to one of holiness in their life, that the blood covered them. And that was worth celebrating, amen? It was worth celebrating. It affirms God's presence, which is worship. 
Holiness establishes God's desire, which is transformation, obedience in your life. And holiness restores God's purpose, which is his will in your life. Number three, we fight to be free from the sting of death to the spirit of life. Look at Galatians 5, verse 16. 5 verse this uh, verse I mean uh, chapter 5 verse 16 is Paul writes says so I say live or walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature so what does a victorious spirit filled life look like one from death to one from life what does it look like well just going back down here just a little bit look at verse 22 it says but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. To live in the Spirit means that this is part of my life. 1 Corinthians, Paul writes in, in, in chapter 15, he says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life through him, right? Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What's worth fighting for? What is truly worth fighting for? Paul says, since Christ has already won the victory, what is holding you and I back? Nothing should hold you back. The only thing that would hold you back is you, if you truly don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you truly don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that will hold you back. What's worth fighting for? And here's my impact point, all right? Here it is. What's worth fighting for? To stand firm in your faith for Christ. That's number one. That's worth fighting for. Y'all, I don't have to tell you, a lot has changed since they coined In God We Trust on the back of a, of a coin, right? Those who have been around here a long, long time. Yeah, I'm 63, I think something like that, mid-60s. And I can remember back when times were different than they are today. Our teenagers today are exposed and experienced things that we never dreamed of when I was a teenager back in the early 70s. Never. Today, we live in a culture and in a society that does not value the things, for the most part, that God values in our lives. And if we're not careful, if we don't stand firm in your faith for Christ, we will look and we will act just like this world around us. What's worth fighting for? To stand firm. Number two, to, to not move from your love of Christ. In other words, there should be no idols in your life. Now listen, I, I know maybe the running joke that Kenneth wasn't here today was because he put this thing out on, I think, Instagram or Twitter that if Auburn won, right, he would wear orange and blue. That's not why he's not here today, okay? 
And if Kentucky won, y'all had to wear Kentucky blue, right? Like you guys would have done that anyway, right? It means there's no idols in your life. To, 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 to not move from your love of Christ means those things that I think are so important, like my job, like my kids, hey, they're important, but are they an idol? Money, things, what is it in your life that you replace your love of Christ for? Could be sports, right? I mean, I'm not gonna take a vote, but I mean, I would imagine in the state of Alabama, 99% of those were probably glued to a TV, right? See their beloved Auburn and Alabama teams play. Do not move from the, your love of Christ. And then number three, what's worth fighting for? To give yourselves fully. Be all in to the mission of Christ. Be all in to the mission of Christ. One of my favorite passages of Scripture that just came to is in Hebrews chapter 12. You don't have to go there. I'll, I'll read it. We don't know who the author is. There's speculation. But this is what the author writes. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run. He didn't say walk. He didn't say crawl. He says, once we throw this stuff off, he says, let us run. Let us run with perseverance the race that's been marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, meaning Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Run! Even in the midst of the junk that we see ourselves surrounded by, he says, because of Christ and the grace you have, you can run. And I don't know about you. I would much rather run than crawl. I'd much rather run than sit. Because I serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the example that we have in the scriptures of what it means to fight for something that means something. Something that has eternal value to it. Something, Lord, that is not just going to last forever, <clears throat> but it gives us something. It gives us this peace that surpasses all understanding. It gives us this, this sense of purpose in our lives that we can run and we can run with perseverance this race that's been marked out for me. That race may include having a mother who may not make it or having a grandmother who may not make it. That race may include of walking through tragedy and difficult times in life, but you tell me to run with that perseverance and I can run because I have the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in my. Thank you, Jesus, that you are who you say you are. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You're the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the one true God in whom we worship. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You may be sitting here today and you don't know Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And I want you to know that the most important decision you'll ever, ever listen to me, ever make in your life is to be sure of who and where you will spend eternity. 
the Bible is pretty clear. I know we all want to believe that there's no hell. And all there is is heaven because God is so good, right? Well, let me tell you something. All you have to do is read the Old Testament. You, I, that God of the Old Testament, man, he's pretty tough, right? If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior who he sent to save us, it's going to be hard because the Bible speaks more about hell than it does about heaven. So I'm going to believe there's a heaven. I've got to believe there's a hell, right? So if you don't know Jesus today, Maybe today is your day of salvation. Maybe today the Holy Spirit has pricked your heart and said, there is something missing in my life. Just like the man who came to my office this past week and we talked about what was missing in his life. And you know what he was missing? He was missing the grace of Christ. Period. And right there he prayed to receive Jesus as his Lord and Savior because there was something missing in his life. Is there something missing in your life? If there is, Find me. I'll put a mask on and we'll talk about Jesus. Amen? We will talk about Jesus. It's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. If you're sitting there today and you go, you know what, Rick? I, I, I know Jesus, but man, there, maybe there's some idols in your life. Maybe you've gotten caught up in our culture and, and, and Christianity, is, it, it's got mucked up in your life. And, and maybe you've added some things to your faith. Maybe unknowingly you've added some things. You're in this rut. You say, I'm tired of this. I need to confess it and just get right with God. I want you to know. We're going to sing here in a second, I think. Maybe we won't sing. Listen, do we need somebody to help us sing? So maybe you're there today and you say, I just need to get right with God. Listen, this, that's what this is for up front. You can do it right where you're sitting, but I want you to know there's something about getting out of your seat and doing something, right? Run! Run! So if that's you, I want you to know there is grace in this place. There is joy in this place. And we're going to seek that with the Lord. I'm going to pray. If you need to see me after the service, you do so. If you need to come to the front here and just pray, we will exit quietly at the end. Amen. Thank you.